Hi, this is Dr. Jonathan Vorce's daughter, Nikki, from Lakewood Family Church. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, helps you, and uplifts you. We're here to win the lost, to train disciples, and to make Jesus famous. Hope you enjoy the message today. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Exodus chapter 24, and we are going to continue our series. This is the second uh, message in the series. There's a worshiper in you, and we're going through the tabernacle. We're doing a study on the tabernacle uh, right now, and uh, we're looking at different places in the Scripture and different instances, types, shadows, foreshadows, and we're tying that with as the tabernacle being the pattern of things to come and a foreshadow of things. We're tying that with the day and age in which we live and we're also tying that to Calvary. We're tying that to the time when Jesus comes. Last week, we talked about the, pa- the pattern of the tabernacle as it is in earth, so it is in heaven, took you into the book of Revelation, actually showed you where the candlestick and the ark and that is actually listed in the book of Revelation as being in heaven. And so we see this as patterns of things to come. So the reason we study the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle, the reason we study the law is because the law has been satisfied, it's been fulfilled, and it produced and is still producing for us. It's still producing in our life. And so uh, I want us to see, and today we're going to be talking about a place called the cutting, and it is where where, where the law and the precepts and the statutes and All of that was established which opened up the road to redemption that we enjoy today. And so we're going to be talking about uh, some of those things. So in Exodus chapter 24 verses 4 through 8 is really the major part of the area that we're going to be working on today. But let's kind of work our way up to that right now. I want to show you, for of course we know that that uh, in the Mount of God, in Mount Sinai, it has several different names, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. In Mount Sinai, uh, we find uh, that God gave Israel two different things. He, uh, Moses gave Israel through Moses two different things. He gave them the statutes, the precepts, and the laws, which they were to live by, and included in these are the Ten Commandments, what we call the Ten Commandments. Some people think that the only thing that came out of Mount Sinai was the Ten Commandments, but that's not true. God also gave Moses the pattern of the tabernacle, which was the pattern of things to come, and if we look in the Scripture, we find approximately 50 chapters in the book of Moses, books of Moses, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, is known as the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, we find approximately 50 chapters there in Scripture that deal with the intricacies of the temple, of the tabernacle. We find how that the tabernacle was supposed to be made. We find the dimensions of the tabernacle. We find different colors. We find different furnishings. We find what they were made of. We find all kinds of things that was, that was not only made and, and built there uh, at the foot of the Mount of God, but we also see them as patterns of worship in the day and age in which we live today. Now, what I want to do is I want to show you, I put this picture up here on purpose. This is actually modern-day Mount Sinai right here. That's what it is. That's Mount Sinai. 
Mount Sinai, we read about it in the Scripture. We read about Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the Mount of God, we, uh, uh, we, Mount Zion. We, we read about this in the Scripture. And in our mind, we see this massive mountain that took Moses forever to get up. But, but it's really not that large. It could easily be climbed by a person with average health in a day. So it's not massive. At the foot of that mountain, this picture actually is a picture that comes from uh, the Egyptian side, Mount Sinai, the Egyptian side. And at the foot of the mountain, there is a monastery, St. Catherine's Monastery. And so uh, they actually do tours up and down that mountain. Most of the people that cl climb Mount Sinai actually climb it at nighttime. So uh, it's kind of interesting. But there's a couple of things that I just want to kind of point out on the mountain because we're going to be talking about a few of those places today. Now, this right here is just a path. It's called the Camel's Path, and that's where camels go. And they, you can actually go around to different sides of the mountain and come up in a couple of different places. This up here is, uh, this here is called the Steps of Repentance, which was put there by the Catholic monastery. And obviously, because it's Catholic, they do penance and different things like that. Those steps, I'm pretty sure, was not there when Moses was climbing the mountain. But it's possible that he may have actually taken this path when he was climbing to the top of the Mount of God. So we get up here and we look right here. Do you see that little hole right there? Everybody see that? That's actually a cave. That's actually a cave. And uh, that is, uh, that is uh, Elijah's place. That's where Elijah hid in the cave. Remember the story? where the Bible said that he was running from Jezebel and he was fearing for his life. And the Bible said that he ran and he hid inside of a cave in Mount Horeb. And the Bible said that there was, he was crying out to God, trying to hear God, and there was thunder, and God wasn't in the thunder. And there was lightning, and God wasn't in the lightning. And there was a large wind, and God wasn't in the wind. And then he stood in the mouth of the cave, and the Bible said after all of this, there was a still small voice, and he recognized it as the voice of God. Well, that cave right there is called Elijah's Basin, and that's actually where that took place. Then if you go to the left of that right here, this is called, this is known as the cutting place. And we're going to be talking about that most of the time today. That's called the cutting place. And then, uh, then there's just a little place up to the summit there, which is the top of Mount Sinai, where, where a lot of people felt that that's where Moses actually was in touch with God, got in touch with God and received uh, the Ten Commandments. He received the pattern for the tabernacle, the statutes, the law, uh, and precepts that Israel were to live by. And so we see, you know, Israel had been running from God. Uh, they had been, they had, let, let me put it like this. They had, uh, they had just come out of Egypt and, and their relationship with God was one of, well, well, you know, we're in a relationship. Now we're not in a relationship. Now we are. In, so they, they would get upset with God and then they would fall back in love with God. Then they'd get upset with God and they would fall back in love with God. But there was no real commitment. There was no real binding together. God brought them. There was a lot of promises. God gave Abraham a promise. In Genesis chapter 15, God gave Abraham a promise. And he told Abraham that, you know, I'm going to raise up a nation out of you. That nation is going to spend 400 years in bondage. And he said, and you read it in the scripture, it'll, they'll be in bondage for 400 years in Egypt, and then I will deliver them. This was a promise fulfilled. The children of Israel, the nation of Israel, actually wandering through the wilderness, ending up at the Mount of God, Mount Sinai, was the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. 
God was attempting all of this time to call Israel His own. I want to make you my people. I want to call you by my name. I want to bless you. I want to give you favor. I want you to possess lands that you didn't purchase. I want you to live in houses that you did not build. I want to give you my, I want to take care of you. And so God was constantly trying to create this relationship between Israel, which is a type of the church, by the way, and between Himself. He was wanting to live out through this nation what he had originally intended for humanity. And so we see there at this place, the law was given. Moses is up there from Exodus chapters 19 through 24. We see where the law was actually given to Moses. And the law condemned, it convicted of sin, it convinced man of their helplessness, And then not only did God give them the law, not only did God give Moses the law, God also gave Moses the pattern of the tabernacle, which was a pattern of the road to redemption that could eradicate man from all of this sin and all of this these problems that he was finding himself in. So the pattern of the tabernacle shows God's remedy for sin. How that we we can turn from law to grace from Sinai to Calvary, from our own righteousness to God's righteousness, and from our own doings to God's doings. And so we see that the road to redemption was established through the sacrificial lamb. The record of the blueprint that God wanted was actually uh, recorded in Exodus 25 through 31 those chapters. In Exodus chapter 32, we see where Israel was forced to actually either come in covenant with God or go back to their heathenistic ways through the golden calf. We see that in in Exodus chapter 32. And then Exodus chapter 35 to Exodus chapter 40 is the actual construction of the tabernacle that God had given to Moses. So it's a very interesting read there when you really understand what's going on. So uh, at the center of all of this, at the core of all of this, was a place called the cutting or the cutting of the covenant. The cutting of the covenant. Look at your neighbor and say cutting. Cutting. You see in Exodus 19, God had brought Israel to Himself. He said, if you obey me fully, you keep my commandments, I will make you a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation to mediate my presence to all nations. We we find the fulfillment of this later on in 1 Peter chapter 2 where the Bible says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so we see the pattern of it given here in Exodus chapter 19 and we see the proclamation of it after Calvary in 1 Peter chapter 2 where God literally said in Exodus 19, I told you you would do this, I would do this. And in 1 Peter 2, after the cross, He said, here it is. Whoop, here it is. I said it. I provided the journey. I gave you the road to redemption. I made the way of atonement. And now this is who you are, the chosen generation that that you were foretold to be. 
And so we go on. The presentation of the covenant is in Exodus 20 through 23, and it includes the Ten Commandments. It includes the Book of the Covenant, and Moses gave it to the people. Now, I want to kind of uh, lay this out like this. So here's what happened. Now, I want you to see this. This is so powerful. I want you to see this. Moses had been in the Mount of God. He comes down, and he looks at Joshua, and he says, it sounds like that there is war in the camp. And then he said, no, it sounds like a party. And they come down, and they've been in the presence of God for all of these days, weeks, in the presence of God, and they see the children of Israel dancing around a golden calf, and that's where, you know, uh, that's, uh, he looks at Aaron and said, what, what's going on here? And Aaron says, well, we just put our gold together and this calf came out. I mean, uh, people have been trying to lie to men and women of God for years. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And the thing about it is, is they do it with straight faces. They actually think we'll believe it. Aaron looked at Moses and he said, we put our gold together and this calf came out right. Well, the Bible said that he ground it down and mixed it in water and made him drink it. But anyways, then he said, you got you to make a decision here. He goes back up into the mountain of God. He says, you have to make a decision here. It's time for you, Israel, it's time for you to make a decision. Are you on the Lord's side or are you not? Are you going to serve God or are you not? And so God was speaking to Israel and he told him, he said, I brought you this far. He said, I brought you from where your father was. I brought you through Egypt. I brought you through the wilderness. I've taken care of you. And during this whole time, our, our relationship has been on and off and on and off and on and off and on and off as if we didn't really have a relationship. And so what God was saying was, I have been trying to court you for hundreds of years. And now it's time, Israel, to get married. It's time to cut covenant. It's time to make a decision. Either I'm your God and that's what I want to be and you're my people or not. And so that was what the purpose of the law was all about. The precepts and the statutes of the law was all about. It was about coming into covenant with God. It was about Israel actually finally choosing God who had already chosen them. It was about them making a commitment. So Exodus 24 and verse number 3, Moses presented all the word to Israel and Israel responded with a resounding yes saying, yes, we will do everything that the Lord has said. So what happened was Moses went up to this place where the cutting of the covenant was there on Mount Sinai, and he built an altar unto the Lord, and that altar represents God, or in Hebrew, the word Yahweh. Israel was, uh, was represented by 12 pillars of stone, which symbolized the 12 tribes of Israel. And so here we are, we're in the midst of this. We have the altar here. We have the 12 pillars of stone, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we see there is a ceremony getting ready to take place here. And that ceremony was the wedding. Israel and God were to become one. Now in a wedding we say, till death do us part. But actually, when you study this and you study this ceremony and the things that were said, you're re it's really more accurately translated, not until death do us part, but death be unto me if I depart from this covenant. God takes covenant very seriously. God takes His promises to us very seriously. 
God takes the sacrifice of Jesus to us very seriously. God takes our acceptance of Jesus very seriously. When we come into covenant with God, this is not some flippant thing that we do. We're no longer flirting with God. We're no longer dating God. We're no longer uh, in one day and out the next. When we come into covenant with God, we're saying, okay, you're going to be my God. I'm going to be your people. I'm going to give you my loyalty. I'm going to give you what you say, and you give me your blessing upon my life. That's what God's looking for. God is looking for people that will actually come into covenant with Him. So the initial ceremony was a burnt offering. It's where the whole animal was burned, signifying that we give everything that we have to God. It, pre it presents itself as a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. We have absolutely nothing left here. We all, every fiber of who we are belongs to God. We're offering ourselves to God exclusively. And then that was followed by fellowship offerings. And fellowship offerings is where they would burn the fat of the lamb or the oxen, whatever, but the lamb, mostly the lamb. They would burn the fat off of the lamb, and then they would roast the meat, and then they would have fellowship with one another. So we had the initial ceremony, the burnt offering, and then we had the fellowship offerings that was taking place. And what this signifies, and what God is talking about here, the tabernacle being the pattern of things to come, is that God puts extreme value on fellowship. Not just fellowship with Him. God wants to have fellowship with you and I. He does. He does. But God puts value on you having fellowship with one another. It's important for us to be together. It's important for us. We draw strength from one another. None of us were ever created to be an island on our own. We all need each other. We all need spiritual brothers and sisters. We all need spiritual accountability. We all need spiritual leaders in our life. We need spiritual mentors in our life. And, all, and we need that together. So the fat would be burned off. In the New Testament, the Bible says to lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset you and run with patience the race that is set before you. So when the, with the fat being burned off, that means all that we have left is the true, raw, unadulterated Word of the living God. So I'll consume that Word. I'll eat that Word. I'm not going to consume myself upon my own lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. I'm not going to consume myself on those things, but I will consume the raw, unadulterated, uncompromised Word of Almighty God, and from that word I will receive the life that sustains my spirit, which develops the worshiper in me. So, this signifies the establishment of fellowship. Now, as, as they were sacrificing the lamb, then the burnt offering there and the fellowship offerings, the Bible said that Moses took the blood he took the blood and, and they poured that blood in basins or bowls and he sprinkled that blood first on the altar and then he sprinkled the blood on the people. I want to read this to you now, Exodus 24, beginning of verse number 4. And uh, it says this, And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. 
And then Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Now, I want to show you something here. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. I mean, it's, it's, it's very powerful to me. And I, and I hope that you can grasp it. This initial ceremony, the cutting ceremony, the establishment of the law. First of all, it was accepted. The acceptance of the law and the establishment that followed all began at this cutting ceremony. The cutting ceremony was not an atonement ceremony. It could not be an atonement ceremony. The Bible said in Exodus 24 and 8, this is the blood of the covenant that Yahweh has made or cut with you. The cutting ceremony was instituted by God with Abraham. The atonement ceremony was to cover sins. This cutting ceremony for the acceptance and the establishment of the law and the precepts and the statues and the building of the temple and all of that, that the original ceremony was a cutting ceremony. It could not be atonement because the law had just been given and Israel did not have time yet to break it. Does that make sense? So what God was saying was, I'm going to give you the road to redemption. I'm going to require a lamb that would be slain in a cutting ceremony to establish this law, and I'm going to have bloodshed before you ever sin. Before you ever sin. What did the Bible say in the New Testament? It said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, for us. While we were yet sinners, listen, before you were ever born, before you were ever a thought to your mother and father, before any of that stuff, Jesus died for you. He made the way for you. Why did he do that? Because of grace and because of faith. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself here. We need, to, we need to keep going here. And so they would take this in the cutting ceremony. What they would do is they would take they would take the, the animals that they cut in half and they would lay the animals out and they would put pieces on each side and they would put an area in the middle and that area was where they would walk through the covenant. Now in the Old Testament, you find different, uh, different uh, uh, instances of this where the weaker person of the covenant would literally walk into the covenant before the stronger person of the covenant uh, went ahead and made the decision to walk in and come into covenant. And so you're standing there in the middle of the covenant together and you're looking around and you're being bound by sacrifice and you're being bound by blood and basically what you're saying is so be it unto me as it was to these animals if I break this covenant. Now, this is very significant. Do not miss this point. Usually it was the weaker person who ventured into covenant first. And then the stronger person would come in and offer their part of the covenant and you would come into covenant. But not so with God. Not so with God. God said, I'll venture in first. He's definitely the most powerful. He's definitely the strongest. He's definitely the one that has the most to offer 
I mean, look at what he's bringing with him to this covenant. And then look at us. Here we are. And so you got Israel, who is the top of the church. They're standing there, and they're seeing God standing here in the middle of the sacrificial lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world with arms outstretched, saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the most beautiful pattern of grace that you will find in the Old Testament. When you could not go to God, He still came to you. Not only did He still come to you, He came for you. He came for you. So God is blood serious about this. And the Bible says, and he still is today in Luke chapter 9 and verse number 23, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So God told the children of Israel, he said, I have prepared this for you. It's time to get married, Israel. It's time to make a commitment, Israel. It's time for you to let me be your God and you be my people. And he said, this is the commitment that I will make unto you. He said, I will make you a holy nation and a royal priesthood. That's my promise to you. If you will come to me in covenant, if you will establish this relationship in blood, I will make you a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Not only will I do that, I will go before you and I will conquer, I will oppose your enemies, and I will give you the promised land, land that you did not buy. I will give it to you. So I'll make you a holy nation. I'll make you a royal priesthood. I'll oppose your enemies. I'll give you promised land. He said, I'll be present among you and I will bless you with good things. I'll bless you with wellness of life. I'll bless you with faith. Read Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 14. Uh, you can say, well, yeah, but you can read the other verses. and you, Yeah, you can read the curse too and you'll find out that you have a choice to make blessing or curse. You and I both have a choice to make. Are we going to live the blessed life or are we going to make ourselves exposed for the curse to work in our life? And so Deuteronomy 20, 18, God says, I will, I will be present among you and I will bless you. If you choose me, if you come into covenant with me, if you establish yourself, if you reserve yourself exclusively, exclusively for me, I will give you good things. I will give you the wellness of life. And here's the one that I love the most, and probably because I've uh, experienced so much betrayal in my life, but it says, I will be faithful to you. I will be faithful to you. Let me tell you something. Jesus said, I will be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In another place, he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. David experienced that. He said, if I go to the heights of heaven, you are there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you are there. Where can I go from you and where can I flee from your presence? And the truth is, there's no place that you can go to get away from the presence of God. God is omnipresent. That means He is everywhere present at all times. And God is there. God said, I'll be faithful. Now, some people say, well, I prayed and God didn't, didn't answer my prayer. A lot of times we think God didn't answer our prayer when God really did answer the prayer. It just wasn't the answer that we wanted. We wanted God to say yes. God said no. Right? And when God said no, we said, well, God didn't answer. Yes, He did. He said no. 
That's right. He'll be faithful. He'll be faithful. He'll be faithful to be with you. He'll be faithful to walk with you. His promise to you is that He would never leave you and He would never forsake you. His promise is not that you would never see trouble and trial. That's not His promise. His promise is you'll never be alone again. You will never be alone again. That's God's promise. When we give our life to Jesus, when we ask Him to become the Lord of our lives, we come into covenant with God, something that God takes very seriously. And the promise that we have is not that everything is going to be hunky-dory from this day forward. It's just that we don't have to do life alone again anymore. I've said it. I said it in the first service. I'll say it again. I've said it for many years. If there was no heaven and there was no hell, I would still serve God for the relationship. He's worth it. He's worth it. So we see Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the type of the tabernacle. He bore our sins. He shed His blood. And we see this picture of grace when it says, it is done. This is the finished work of the Lord Jesus that was fully developed in the New Testament. And it is a picture that is revealed to us with its altar, its blood, its sacrifices, its provision for every need of every human heart. The lesson that we can learn from this is simply that we as sinners are hopeless and helpless to be saved by our own efforts and our own religion and our own merits and our own goodness and our own morality and our own righteousness. We come to God. When we come to Him, we come poor, we come bankrupt. I'm, talking, I'm not necessarily talking financially. I'm talking in our spirit. We're, we are a spiritual pauper and we are deserving of hell. We are, but we come to the foot of the cross for grace. And we come to the foot of the cross for mercy. And when we do, God extends that grace to us and God extends that mercy to us and, and he says, I will come into covenant with you and I'll be your God and you can be my, my child, you can be my son, you can be my daughter. So when we do, when we give our life to Christ, then what happens is this gives us the opportunity to actually enter into the presence of God. Now this whole beautiful picture is a picture of communion. Listen to me about communion. We're going to receive communion here in just a few moments. But I want you, and I told him I wanted to receive it at the end of the message instead of the beginning uh, today because of the message I was preaching. Communion is holy. Communion is sacred. It's not just grape juice and a wafer. We remember, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We remember His broken body. We remember His blood. This sacrificial lamb, this cutting ceremony that we're talking about where God reunited humanity with Himself, that is the essence of communion. The essence of it. It's not just the meal that heals. It restores. It's, it's a... It's a not just a symbol, but it is a practice of being one with God. When we receive the wafer that is broken, we receive it as the broken body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when we take it inside of us, we're saying that we receive inside of us everything that His broken body paid for. All of the healing, all of the health, all of the wholeness, the thing that's better than a miracle is divine health. Divine health is better than healing. 
right? And when we receive the blood, what we're saying is we receive the blood that is still cleansing today. The difference between the Old Testament lamb and the New Testament lamb is the Old Testament lamb covered sin. The New Testament lamb, Jesus, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, cleanses sin. That's the difference. One covered because it didn't have the power to eradicate, but the other had the power to eradicate because it was the blood of the spotless Lamb of glory that came from heaven. Blood comes from the Father. The blood of the Creator cleanses and makes new once again the hearts of men as they give their life to Jesus. Are you seeing that? And all of this coming into communion with God, the broken body of our Lord, the sacrifice divided, the blood poured and sprinkled on the altar, the sprinkling upon the altar and the sprinkling upon the people, the spirit Calvary, blood and water flowed out, the holy place, blood was sprinkled once and for all. This new covenant was foretold by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. I've got it in the English Standard Version here. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which is the house of praise. There's a worshiper in you. Listen, I will make a new covenant. Somebody say new covenant. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The house of Israel is the house of blessing. The house of Judah is the house of praise. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. He said, that covenant they broke. I was their husband, declares the Lord. And they broke that covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them. In the Old Testament, God gave His law to them. In the New Testament, He puts His law in them. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes into people. Upon and into are two different things. Same with the law. The thing about it is, is when the law is put into our hearts today, it is a completed law. Jesus did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it, which means He came to satisfy it. He came to complete it. Now the benefits of that law resides inside of us because of grace. Okay, all right. I'll be their God. He said, I'll put my law, after those days, I'll put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts and I'll be their God and they'll be my people. The Bible said he would take stony hearts out of man and put hearts of flesh in them. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother say, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. So we kind of covered this slide here. We kind of covered, the, not that slide, but we covered this concept last week when I showed you that even in the pattern of the tabernacle where you've got the brazen altar, you've got the washing of the labor, this is the sacrifice, this is the, the washing, the cleansing, this is the uh, illumination, this is uh, the uh, seven golden candlesticks, the menorah. This here is the shoe bread uh, where it speaks of having fellowship with God. And this right here is the altar of incense. Before you get to the veil, and the mercy seat. If you look at this, the way to get to the veil, the way to, to get to the throne room of God, the way to get into the presence of God, the Old Testament being a pattern of things to come is through the cross. See there? It's through the cross. The finished work of the Lord Jesus, fully developed in the New Testament, was already given 
in shadow and in type and revealed in picture of the tabernacle with its altar, with its blood, with its sacrifices, its provision, and all of those things. Now here's, the, here's something that I want to share with you. Now when Israel was standing there and the road to redemption had been unveiled and Israel said, I'll do everything that God says that I should do. And they come into covenant with God and they entered that marriage ceremony that cutting of the covenant ceremony when the law was instituted was the wedding in, established in heaven between God and humanity, Israel. The rest of the Old Testament is the story of their relationship. Israel failed God. Israel turned their back on God. Israel started worshiping other gods. There's all kinds of things in the Old Testament where we see that Israel actually turned away from God. But they always, God was always willing to take them back. Think about this. We find this beautifully pictured in the story of Hosea and Gomer. Read the book of Hosea. Gomer was a minor prophet and the Bible said that God spoke to him and said, I want you to go down and I want you to marry Gomer. And his response was, she's a prostitute. And God said, I want you to marry her and that can be an example to the children of Israel that it doesn't matter even though they've been whoring after other gods, I still want to come back into covenant with them. So Hosea did that. And then after they had uh, been married for quite some time and they had some, had some children, then all of a sudden she decided that she was dissatisfied and she went back out again. And, and God spoke to Hosea and He said, you need to go back and get her. And He spoke to His children and He spoke to His friends and His family and they probably thought, man, you're nuts, you're crazy. Why in the world do you want her after what she's done? But He went back and got her. He said, I love her. And He went back and got her and He brought her back in and reestablish that relationship, which is a depiction of God bringing, bringing us back into relationship with God. Listen, it's depiction of God's grace, God's mercy, God's love. And the message for us today, and the lesson that we can learn from that today, is when God comes into covenant with us, He is serious about that covenant. And we find it in the, the most popular scripture uh, from the King James Version of the Bible in the world today, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I see Him standing in the middle of that covenant saying, I love you, come to me. In Revelation chapter 3, the Bible said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will come after me, he opened the door and I will come in with him and I will sup with him and he with me. God is always extending himself to humanity. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter the, the sin that we've been involved in, no matter the times that we've come to God and maybe failed God because the flesh got the best of us, if we come back to God, he's still standing with his arms open wide. Not a drop of Jesus' blood was ever wasted. Amen. Not a drop. It still cleanses today. Listen, this is a very important statement. And if you're making notes, you need to write this down and get it in your spirit. The blood that Jesus shed on Calvary did not cleanse the world of sins. sins. It keeps cleansing the world of sins. So it's not just cleansed, it's cleansing. 
It's still alive. It's still working. It's still cleaning. It's still eradicating sin. It's still washing. It's still purifying. That's what blood does. The Bible said the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it on the altar to make an atonement for the soul. So we can enter God's presence because of this. And the Holy Spirit's eternal plan is to reveal Jesus Christ as the tabernacle or as the way to God's presence. Now I want you to look at this. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there in the Hebrew actually means tabernacled. Think about that. So what is the tabernacle? What is the temple? The tabernacle, the temple, is the dwelling place of the presence of God. When Jesus came to this earth and died on Calvary, and He cried, It is finished, and He gave up the ghost. At that moment, the Bible said that the veil in the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. That means it was rent in two. And it tore from the top to the bottom. And when it tore from the top to the bottom, then the Bible said that the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world went into the mercy seat and sprinkled one last time the blood of the lamb. And that was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. In the Old Testament, in the cutting ceremony that I shared with you today, we see where the blood was sprinkled both on the altar and it was sprinkled on the people. When Jesus was being crucified, when He was coming down the Via Dolorosa, when they pressed the thorns on His brow, when He cried out as they plucked His beard and as they beat His back with 39 stripes with the Roman's cat of nine tails, that blood that shot from His body, that sprinkled from His body, that, that marked the path of the Via Dolorosa all the way up Calvary's mountain, when they took the nails and drove them in His hands and in His feet, when they pushed the spear into his side and blood and water came out. All of that blood was sprinkled on the earth. It was sprinkled on the people. In order to make this blood, this covenant, in order to make it binding, there was one more place it had to be sprinkled and that was on the altar. Beyond the veil in the holiest of holies, when Jesus died and cried, it is finished, and that veil tore in two from the top to the bottom, the Bible said He entered one time into the holy place, sprinkled the blood of the covenant on the earthly throne room of God, the earthly seat of God, the mercy seat. The moment He did that, that bound the sacrifice that He had just offered, that bound it to grace. And from that day forward, now you and I access, we come boldly, we enter the holiest. How? By the blood of Jesus. Look at that. By a new and living way which He consecrated for us. How? Through the veil which was His flesh. Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed. With pure water. This is why Jesus is the only way. He's the only truth and He's the only life because it was His blood that bound us in covenant to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
makes me want to clap too. It, uh, I, I, it just, there's just something about it that just makes my spirit go, woo, hallelujah. So there's a worshiper in us. We don't enter the presence of the king and not worship. We don't enter the presence of the king and not adore him and not love him and magnify him. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who helped to give to keep the gospel moving forward. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description or visit jvorce.org for more information. Please share, like, subscribe if you enjoyed our podcast. Take a screenshot and tag us at Lakewood Family Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.